I don't know if you've ever been bullied in life. This week in part one of our series, Never Defeated, we're studying the book of Nehemiah, and we're actually going to talk about the bullies or the critics that we face in our lives. Sometimes it's an outright critic who comes against you or a bully. Other times it's a voice in our own head that tells us you're not good enough, you can't do it, you're never going to succeed. As I was thinking about the critics in our lives and the bullies, it reminded me of this scene from the kids' movie Zootopia, where this bunny who's out to make the world a better place runs into her biggest critic. He's a sly bully, a sly fox. Go ahead and take a look, see if you can relate. Hey! All right, Slick Nick, you're under arrest. Really? For what? Gee, I don't know. How about selling food without a permit? Transporting undeclared commerce across row lines? False advertising? Permit? Receipt of declared commerce? And I didn't falsely advertise anything. Take care. You told that mouse the popsicle sticks were redwood. That's right. Red wood with a space in the middle. Wood that is red. You can't touch me, carrots. I've been doing this since I was born. You're going to want to refrain from calling me carrots. My bad. I just naturally assumed you came from some little carrot choke podunk, no? Uh, no. Podunk is in Deerbrook County, and I grew up in Bunnyboro. Okay. Tell me if this story sounds familiar. Naive little hick with good grades and big ideas decides, hey, look at me, I'm gonna move to Zootopia, where predators and prey live in harmony and sing kumbaya, only to find, whoopsie, we don't all get along. And that dream of becoming a big city cop? Double whoopsie, she's a meter mate, and whoopsie number three no one cares about her or her dreams. And soon enough, those dreams die, and our bunny sinks into emotional and literal squalor living in a box under a bridge, till finally she has no choice but to go back home with that cute, fuzzy, wuzzy little tail between her legs to become... You're from Bunny Burrow, is that what you said? So how about a carrot farmer? That sound about right. Oh. Oh. Be careful now, it won't just be your dreams getting crushed. Hey, hey! No one tells me what I can or can't be, especially not some jerk who never had the guts to try to be anything more than a popsicle hustler. All right, look. Everyone comes to Zootopia thinking they can be anything they want. Well, you can't. You can only be what you are. Sly Fox, dumb bunny. I am not a dumb bunny. Right. And that's not wet cement. You'll never be a real cop. You're a cute meter maid, though. Maybe a supervisor one day. Hang in there. Well, I wonder who or what is the sly fox in your life? Uh, who or what is the voice that says when you step out to do good things for God, you're not really going to do it. You're not going to succeed. You had a great idea, but it's never going to work. Who or what is the sly fox? Who or what is the criticizer, the opponent, the bully of God, God's work in your life? You know, whenever we step out and choose to follow God, inevitably there's tension, there's conflict. And the question we're wrestling with today is this, what can you do when your best efforts to follow God, they are repeatedly blocked or even outright mocked? What can you do in that situation? I mean, what can you do if you're a high school student and you believe in God and he's transforming your thoughts and you go to your school and you're like, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus and there's other students who outright mock you for that. 
What can you do when you're in college and you know that you believe in Jesus and you're trying to live for him and when all your friends go out to get drunk, you say, you know, I don't do that because I'm a follower of Christ and they don't just block you, but they actually mock you. What can you do when you're in your workplace? I remember as a young journalist, I was the only follower of Christ at one newspaper that I worked for. And so many of them, they didn't understand my faith in God. And there were times when they not only blocked me, but times when they outright mocked me. I've seen this as families come to our church that very often a married couple will come in and God will start working in their lives. And one, either the husband or the wife will say, yeah, let's keep growing in God. Let's get some Christian marriage counseling. Let's really tune up our marriage. And the other one will say, why bother? You know, why, why even invest in it? It's pretty much broken. And the one really wants to make it better, but the other one blocks it or even mocks it. Is there a person in your life or an area in your life where you've stepped out to follow God and you've been blocked or mocked? And if so, what can you do? What can you do? I remember when I was five years into my journalism career, I had started leading a small group at the church I attended. And I had started going to seminary, learning the word of God. And I felt this call. And a number of my friends and really people I trusted affirmed it that I was called to go be a pastor. And it was to a church of 40 people. And at the time, I had just hit a breakthrough in my career. And one of my friends who was also a believer and really a mentor, he wrote for the New York Times. And he said, John, if you walk away from your career right now, it will be the biggest mistake of your life. It would be the stupidest choice you could make. Here's a picture from around that time. And I remember being so emotionally torn up inside because I trusted this person so much and I knew he wanted the best for me, but I also knew what God was calling me to do. And he said, John, it'll be the biggest mistake of your life, but I knew it's what God was calling me to do. As you follow God, whether it's an external critic that's a bully, someone who loves you but doesn't understand what God's calling you to do, or maybe the voice in your own head, you will face criticism and opposition. So let's look in Nehemiah chapter 6 and let's learn how to overcome those critics, those bullies, those who would stop us in the work of God. Here's what God's word says. When the word came to Sanballat and Tobiah and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall. Now, if you missed the first four chapters in Nehemiah, the series is called Never Too Late. You can watch it online. And what we've learned is that Nehemiah, he's a real person who lived and God called him to rebuild this ancient city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, he gave up a lot of things to follow God in this calling. And at this point in the story, Nehemiah has overcome opposition and division and difficulty and obstacles, and they've finally rebuilt the outside of the city, which will now allow them to rebuild the homes and the businesses and actually rebuild the work of God for the people of God, the Jewish people. Well, at this point, they're almost done with the wall. The wall's done, but they haven't put the doors in or the gates, and that's what the next verse says. At, at that time, we had not yet set the doors in the gates. So Sanballat, Geshem, and Tobiah, they are the sly foxes in this story. They are the adversaries. They're the villains. They're the bad guys. And from the beginning of God's work through Nehemiah all the way to the end, they are there mocking and dividing and trying to destroy the work of God. Well, they see how close the work is, and so they send this message to Nehemiah. They say, hey, hey, stop working so hard. Why don't you come take a little break, meet together with us in this village on the plain of Ono? And here's what Nehemiah says. They were scheming 
to harm me. It was, it was falsely advertised as this innocent little, hey, just come meet with us. But Nehemiah saw through it for what it was. They wanted to distract him from doing the work of God. And so he sends this reply to them. He says, I'm carrying on a great project, so I can't go meet with you. And I want to pause right here to ask you, are you aware of the great projects that God wants to do in your life? If you were to say today, what is the great project that God has called you to? Do you have at least one answer? And I'm here to tell you that if you've placed your faith in Jesus, he has a great project for you today. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that you were saved, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works or great projects that he has prepared in advance for you to do. Every day you wake up on earth instead of in heaven, there's a purpose for you. There's a project for you. And as we grow, the projects change throughout the season. Sometimes the project is quitting smoking. Sometimes the project is getting free from an addiction. Sometimes the great project is our marriage. Sometimes it's our habits. Sometimes the great project is our finances and getting in a place where we're living in freedom instead of slavery. Other times the great project, it's to raise the next generation. If you have children or grandchildren, out of everyone in history, God chose you to do the great project of raising those children or grandchildren for the Lord. Other times as we keep growing, God gives us a calling to either serve by leading a small group or in Kids City or to use our spiritual gift in some way, and it's a great project. You know what I love about Nehemiah's answer here is that there's a healthy sense of pride in this answer. In other words, Nehemiah wasn't like, well, who am I? You know, I'm just kind of, if they say I should go meet with them, I guess I should. I think sometimes we can have a false sense of what humility is. Humility isn't thinking little of ourselves. It's thinking big of God and realizing where we fit in the picture. The book of Romans says to have a sober self-assessment. You know, as a follower of Christ, what part of your sober or accurate self-assessment is? It's that you've been bought with a price that you are a son or a daughter of Almighty God, that you have been given gifts, that you have eternal significance, that you have value according to your creator. That's accurate. That's not proud to say those things. That's accurate. And Nehemiah, he has this healthy sense of saying, you know what? What God has called me to is a big deal. It matters. And this is important because if you don't think the things that God has called you to are a big deal, then when distraction comes knocking on your door, you'll answer it. But Nehemiah doesn't answer it because he realizes this. I only have so many hours in a day. I only have so many years on earth. God has given me a great work to do. And if I go meet with these people who want to distract me from God's work, the work will suffer and real people will suffer as a result. I just love Nehemiah's healthy sense of pride. And I hope you've got that today. I mean, if you're in a place where God has put it on your heart to invest in your marriage, that is a great project. If you're in a place where you say, you know what, I don't just want to kind of feed my kids and house them. I really want to raise them to love God and serve other people. That is a great project. If you're getting set free from something or you're stepping out to start serving in some way, these are great projects. Be proud of yourself. Take pride in the work that God wants to do in you and through you. And when distractions, whether they're innocent or malicious, come your way, say, you know what? I've got to keep doing the great project 
that God has called me to. Well, Nehemiah, he continues his answer and he says this, why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to meet with you? And then he says this, four times they send this exact same message. So this distraction, it just keeps coming four times. And all four times, Nehemiah gives the exact same answer. He's undistracted. Now look at this, the fifth time. The fifth time, the enemy takes it up a notch. And this time, they write it out. They write out this letter. And this is so significant because Nehemiah wrote this book. It's a memoir of his where he shows how God worked. And Nehemiah writes very carefully. He says, they wrote this accusation, this rumor to me in an unsealed letter. Now, there's very, very, very significant meaning to that phrase because Nehemiah, you might remember, he had worked as a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, most powerful king in the world at the time. And as the cupbearer, Nehemiah was often there when Artaxerxes opened his mail. And what Nehemiah saw from sitting right next to a king is that there's a big deal if a letter is sealed or not. By the way, this sealed, it does not mean that the envelope was not licked. This is the seal of a king or a seal of authority. So when one king or a noble, someone who actually has authority and power, would write to another person in power, they would seal it with their ring and wax, you know, the old seal to say this letter has authority. What's Nehemiah's point? His adversaries, his critics, his bullies, they're going to write him a letter, and we're going to see in the content of it that it has an air of authority, but they didn't actually have any authority. And just like the sly fox who tells the bunny that she's dumb, the bullies in your life and the sly fox in your own mind, if you have negative thoughts going in your mind, it will act like it has an authority that it doesn't actually have. You know, if Sanballat and Tobiah were alive today, and if Jerusalem were Brownsburg, you know how they would have sent this unsealed letter? They would have sent it on Brownsburg chatter. (laughs) Right? It's a place for people who don't have authority to go and act like they do have authority. (laughs) It's, It's a place... And whether it's that or it's, I mean, we got to be aware, especially our kids growing up, the, the social media direct messages they get, the bullying that goes on online these days, there will be people, you know, the word of God says the tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison, James chapter four, but guess what? The thumbs can be too. And, and through the technology of our day, there are people who have no authority who will act like they do. There are people whose opinions don't matter who will act like their opinion does. And we're going to see through Nehemiah that if you live your life to try to please them, you'll end up never living your life. So let's see this rumor that they write out about Nehemiah. Here's what they say. It is reported, in modern translation, people are saying, doesn't that sound familiar? People are saying among the nations. So lots of people are saying, which means it must be true because lots of people are saying it. And my friend says it's true. So there you have it right? People are saying, lots of people are saying, and my friend says it's true. And what they're about to say, by the way, has zero facts in it. They say that you and the Jewish people are plotting to revolt against King Artaxerxes. That's why you're rebuilding the city. In fact, moreover, according to these reports that lots of people are saying, and my friend says are true, you, Nehemiah, 
are planning to set yourself up to become the king. And you've even appointed prophets to go make this proclamation about you, that there's a king in Judah. This report will get back to the real king. Now, the people writing this know it's entirely fabricated. It's entirely made up. But what they're doing is they're trying to prey on Nehemiah's emotions and his ego. And they're saying, Nehemiah, even if it's not true, it's probably going to get to Artaxerxes and then he's going to, you know, come kill you. So come meet with us. Stop the work. Defend your name. Chase down the rumors. You know, just like the sly fox, often the enemy or the bully will come and say, I'm just looking out for you. I'm just trying to help you. You know, Nehemiah, we don't want you to get killed, so, you know, come to us. We could control this rumor. We could help you. Come to us, and we could save your life. Sometimes in my life, that inner critic, that inner bully, will be fear. In other words, the inner critic or the inner bully will say, hey, if you really step out to follow God, ooh, it might not go well. So you should just live this comfortable little life. Don't really step out to do any big things. Well, let's look at Nehemiah's response to this letter. He sends this reply. He says, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. (laughs) I love that reply. And what's so significant in the book of Nehemiah, you're going to see these guys come after him multiple times. This is about the longest answer he ever gives them. And what he does is he focuses on the truth. He says, nothing that you're saying is actually true. You're making it up in your heads. And then Nehemiah properly assesses what was happening. He says this, they were all trying to frighten us. And they were thinking, you know, God's people, their hands will get too weak for the work because of this just constant emotional attack. They're eventually going to get discouraged and the work won't be completed. That's what the enemy wanted. And by the way, that's what the enemy of your soul wants. The enemy of your soul doesn't want you to quit smoking. He doesn't want your marriage to improve. He doesn't want you to learn the joy of using your spiritual gift or the freedom of having your finances under control. He doesn't want churches to thrive or families to thrive. He doesn't want your kids to grow up and live a life of freedom. And if he can distract you, even using your own ego to get you to chase down some other thing, he'll do that. Now, I just love Nehemiah's response, and it's going to be our direction in our lives when we face an outright bully or a voice of criticism in our own mind, but I prayed. I prayed. We've seen throughout the book of Nehemiah that every time he hits an obstacle, his eyes automatically go up to the God of heaven. The God of heaven. That's where Nehemiah gets his identity, his purpose, his security. And so just like every other time he hits a roadblock, he prays. And I love the words of this prayer. He says, God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen me to keep doing your work. Well, here's the solution to any critic or distraction that you may be facing today or in the future. We draw it from that verse and it is to recite the truth, to ask God for strength, and then get back to work. Reciting the truth, I think, is the most important step here because the rumors, the bullies, the voices in your head that would make you quit pursuing God or quit growing in life, they always speak things that are false. It might even be nine parts true and one part false, but the way you overcome it is by speaking the truth. 
Do you know right now there's a national epidemic of bullying that about 4,400 young people in the U.S. every year take their own lives as a result of bullying? How do we help our kids grow up in that kind of world? We've got to tell them the truth about who they are every day, dozens of times a day because the sly fox is whispering in their ear. The sly fox is saying to the young ladies, you're not beautiful, you don't matter. And it's our role as parents and as a community to say, you are beautiful, you do matter. You're a daughter of the king. You've been bought with a price. You have a purpose. You're significant. We overcome the lies of the enemy. We overcome the sly fox by reciting the truth. And so anytime you hear something that would stop you in God's work, you've got to pause and say, is that actually true? How do we know what the truth is? We know it from the word of God. And this is why if you don't yet have a life application study Bible, we'd love to give you one today at our connection corner. Because you can look up things in the back like my identity, my value, my significance, and you can find scriptures. So when Satan comes to you and says, you'll never quit drinking. Your dad was an alcoholic. Your grandpa was an alcoholic. That's who you are. You can instead recite the truth and you can say, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can recite the truth and you can say, you know what? Everyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And that's no longer who I am. You recite the truth over and over. And as you recite the truth, then you say, now God, give me strength. Give me strength to make choices and decisions and habits that will live out the new life of who I am. And then you don't sit around and talk about it. You get back to work. You actually do it. You stay busy doing God's work. You know, as I was thinking about this message and praying for you all, I, I delivered it last night and I just didn't feel great about the delivery and I was kind of discouraged and I was tired. I got home around 9 p.m. and I hadn't eaten dinner. I was hungry. I was tired. And I got home and there was one thing I wanted to do more than anything else. I wanted to go see my kids who were all asleep. And so, you know, I did the thing where you go in and you kind of kiss them on the cheek and the girls were in their room and... When I climbed up Jack's bunk bed and I peeked over the edge, he opens his eyes and he goes like this. And then because I'm usually there when Jack falls asleep and we have great discussions at bedtime, he goes like this. He waves me in. So I climb up and here's a picture I had taken actually a couple weeks ago because I was thinking, you know, as he gets older, someday he's going to stop doing this. I need to document this. And so I climbed up in, and he put his head on my shoulder, which is what he's used to doing. And as I laid there next to him and thought, you know, after a really hard day of work and feeling like I'm not good enough at what I do, there's nothing that delights me more than connecting with my child who I love. And it was this moment where I realized that when you recite the truth for your bullies, and when you ask God for strength, you're not just talking to some distant cosmic creator. You're talking to your father. You're talking to your father who loves you. You know, Jesus taught you to pray every day, our father in heaven. And it's that word Abba or Papa. There's this intimate father-child relationship where you're not just coming to God for help. You're bringing him your emotions. And when the bullies beat you up, you come to him for strength. And when the critics have beaten you down, you come to him to lift you back up. And when you feel like you're not good enough, you don't 
ask the internet, am I good enough? You go to your father and say, am I good enough? And he says, yes, you are. I've chosen you. I've called you. You're my child. You know, so many of us, we grew up and we didn't have a dad at our soccer games. We didn't have a dad cheering us on in life. And part of your relationship with God the Father that's possible through Jesus Christ is that you now have a dad who's cheering you on. And our young people, they've got to know this as they walk through the halls of their school. We've got to know this as we go about representing Christ in our workplaces and living in families where sometimes the person we're married to or other people, they might not respect our walk with Jesus. And if we're looking to all of them for approval, we're going to be constantly up and down. But if we look to the Father and say, God, i got to find my significance in you today. Father, I've got to find my security in you today. Who do you say that I am? You know, question, how do you hear the Father? How do you hear him whisper things like, you're valuable, you have gifts, you have significance? How do you hear that? Well, I'll tell you the answer in my life. One way is by reading the Word of God. If you don't know where to start, start in the Psalms. Especially if you're stirred up emotionally, the Psalms will just tell you how God's there to comfort you. Other, other way that I hear the voice of God whispering in my ear is I'm very intentional with what I listen to. Whether it's music or podcasts or radio, get Christian voices that are speaking the truth of God into your ears. Why? Because the sly fox every day will whisper dozens or hundreds of times that you're not pretty enough, you're not valuable enough, you'll never defeat that thing, what's the point? And the way we overcome that is we fill our minds with the truth of God. You know, another way I live this out and that you can live it out is through your closest friends. It's a true saying that if you want to see who you're going to be five years from today, show me your five closest friends. Show me who they are, and that's a composite picture of who you'll be five years from now. If your five closest friends aren't followers of Jesus or followers of Jesus who speak the truth in love, then you're not going to hear the whispering voice of the Father like you could. Surround yourself with believers who, they'll tell you if you do something wrong, they'll help you, they'll correct you, but they're positive voices. And when you get discouraged, they say, hang in there. You have been called. You do have gifts. You are significant. Surround yourself with people who will speak the truth of God to you. You know, as followers of Jesus... We've been made right with God through Christ's work on the cross, but not only that, he gave us a model because Jesus lived a life where as he was sinless and did nothing wrong, he was still criticized and ultimately crucified. He took on the biggest bully of all, Satan himself, the one who mocked God's creation, the one who said to Adam and Eve, you can't trust God. And Jesus defeated the ultimate bully. How did he do it? Well, we're, showed, uh, we're shown in the book of Luke chapter 4 when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's directly tempted by Satan. How does he overcome it? He recites the truth. He asks God for strength. And he keeps doing the work. He can do the same for you. He can strengthen you to do the same. Well, here's an observation from Nehemiah's story. When you commit to a great project, you will face obstacles and distractions. Expect the sly fox. Don't be, you know, too surprised when the sly fox shows up. He will show up. And I don't want to spend too much time on the critics or the distractions, but I do want to identify three different kind of critics 
or distractions that you will face as you follow Jesus. Hopefully, knowing them makes you less surprised when you encounter them. And the first is the external critic. The external critic is someone outside who's directly opposed to your well-being. They don't want you to believe in Jesus. They don't want the work of God to happen in your life. And sometimes the external critic, maybe it's a relative. You've had a transformation and you're walking with Christ and they don't understand. They're like, why do you go to church? Why do you do that? Sometimes the external critic is a peer for students, for college students, and that peer would say, hey, relax. Don't take your face so seriously. Just, you know, come to this party and just be like everyone else for a night. The external critic opposes the work of God in your life, and the external critic, we're told in Scripture, sometimes there are messages in entire societies and cultures that are demonically fueled to discourage Christians, to say, you know, you're not cool if you're a follower of Christ. Anything that would say, don't follow Christ, is an external critic. And depending on your life experience, it may be broad and vague, or it might be a very specific person like it was for Nehemiah. Here's an observation from Nehemiah's life. If you wait for your critics or distractions to end, you'll be waiting your entire life, and you'll never get to God's great project for you. You know, so easy for us to say, okay, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, but first I just need to go to this critic or this person who doesn't like me, and I'm going to get them to like me or agree with me, and then I'll get back to God's work. But here's the thing. Nehemiah was smart enough to see that you're never going to get everyone to like you. You're never going to get all your critics to agree with you. In fact, if you look at the end of Nehemiah in chapter 13, We see that after 12 years, Nehemiah has been used by God to rebuild the entire city of Jerusalem, and people's lives are transformed, a whole nation is transformed, and guess who still hates him and is mocking him? Sanballat and Tobiah, the exact same guys. They never did, even after he succeeded, they never stopped criticizing him. So the point is this, don't waste your time trying to please your critics, spend your time trying to please your father. Paul wrote in Galatians 1 verse 10, he said, if I was still living to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And something we just have to acknowledge as followers of Jesus is we love all people, but we're not living to please people. There's a big difference between loving people and living for their approval. There will always be some people who don't approve of you as you follow God. And if you wait for there to be no distractions, you know, sometimes you have a sense of here's the great project God has for me. And You know, when it's a sunny day and all the conditions are just right, I'm going to start that project. Guess what? The conditions will never be perfect. When God gives you a great project, if it's overcast and rainy and you're tired, start the project. Just get to work on the project. The conditions will never be perfect. And what's amazing to me in Nehemiah's story, in chapter 5, we see that there were thousands of people in Jerusalem who were literal slaves because they hadn't been able to pay their debts. They'd been sold as slaves. And Nehemiah, because of his work, he ends, up, uh, he ends up changing the culture and those slaves become set free because of what Nehemiah did. So think about this. If Nehemiah had gone and spent the time with his critics to try to get them to like him, there are literal people who would have died as slaves instead of dying as free people. Thousands of people were impacted by Nehemiah's focus and obedience. Thousands of people who were living in poverty ended up living in prosperity. And here's the thing, don't forget this. Your great project, it will affect real people. 
your great project that God wants to do in you and through you, it will affect your kids and their freedom in life. It will affect your grandkids. It will affect real people in this church and in this community. So that's why Nehemiah says, the work is too important for me to wait for my critics to agree with me. I love this poem from Theodore Roosevelt. I won't be able to deliver it as powerful as he did, but he says this, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the one who points out how the strong person stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. No, the credit belongs to the person who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, and who comes short time and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but the one who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms and the great devotions, who spends themselves in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and at the worst, even if they fail, at least they fail while daring greatly, so that their place, will never be among those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. You know, Roosevelt was right. There's really two kinds of people in the world. There's people who launch out to do great things, and there's people who sit at home and make fun of them. And you've just got to decide which one you're going to be. And as a follower of Christ, the reality is you are called to do great things. Even if you look at it and you think, well, quitting smoking isn't a great thing, it absolutely is. You're going to see the power of God in your life. Your marriage is a great thing. What God does in you is a great thing. So we have to deal with external critics. The second kind are internal critics. Internal critics are the people who should be for you, but they're blinded by fear. Or they're lacking faith. Or they're living in the past. If you look at the end of Nehemiah chapter 6, you'll see that there were thousands of nobles among the Jewish people who were on Nehemiah's team, but they had pledged their allegiance to Tobiah, his arch enemy. And they kept being loyal to Tobiah even as Nehemiah's rebuilding their city. Why did they do that? When they were insiders and they should have been on Nehemiah's team, why did they stay loyal to the enemy? And the answer is this, because it was comfortable. It was what they knew. They knew Tobiah before they knew Nehemiah. Tobiah was the kind of guy who would come over to their house and kind of stroke their ego and make them feel really special. And so they stayed loyal to Tobiah, even though God was clearly working through Nehemiah. And the point is this, sometimes you'll have even other believers who mean well, and they'll say, don't, don't be so radical in your faith. Don't step out so boldly. And so we've got to keep our focus. You know, Nehemiah, he never gets mad at these critics. He, he, never, he never loses his temper on them. He's never violent with them. He just always looks back to the God of heaven, prays for strength, and he keeps going. Now, the third kind of critic is, for me, the one that I face the most often, and that is the inner critic. The inner critic is your own self-talk. When you repeat negative ideas, you're not going to make it, you're not good enough, you can't do this, who do you think you are, you're not pretty, no one will ever like you, negative ideas that you've heard either out in the world or sometimes I believe Satan can whisper those things in our ears or demonic forces can. And again, we overcome it the same way, we go back to the truth. Who does God say I am? 
Why does God say I exist? What does God say about if I can overcome this or if I can obey him through this or if I can do this? What we learn in all of this is very simple. Don't give your best energy or emotion to your critics or your distractions. Every day you wake up, you have a limited amount of mental real estate, a limited amount of time, and a limited amount of emotion. Don't give your best to the people who want to destroy you, the people who will celebrate if you fail. Give your best to the God who is for you, who will work in you and through you. Give your best to those people who are committed to the work of God alongside you. There's a saying in racing that, you know, if you look at the wall or if you look behind you, you'll crash because your car goes where your eyes go. Here's a picture of of one such crash. I was at a, a race a few weeks ago and was just, you know, from here to the end of the room away from a crash like this. It was so violent. It was so loud. And the reality is that in your life, if you focus on your barriers, if you focus on the walls, if you focus on what's behind you, you're far more likely to crash. What does God want for you instead? He wants a scene like this. The other day I watched with my kids this movie called The Art of Racing in the Rain. If you love dogs or cars, you'll like it, okay? And there's this scene at the end of the movie after this race car driver main character has really overcome a lot of challenges and critics and bullies in his life and has learned this principle of keeping your eyes fixed on where you want to go and this reminder from the word of God you know that God as you follow his word Psalm 119 says he wants you to run in the path of his commands he has wide open spaces for you it doesn't mean there won't still be obstacles in life but he wants you living a life of freedom a life of purpose And the way you get there is whatever critic or distraction comes your way, whether it's in your mind or on a screen or someone who's looking at you face to face, you always look back to the God of heaven. You speak the truth into it. You ask God for the strength to stay on course and then you keep moving forward. So I wonder if these three things, recite the truth, ask God for strength and getting back to work, which one do you most need this week? I mean, if you're like me, nine times out of ten, it's this recite the truth part. You might remember in that little Zootopia clip, at the very end, the sly fox says, you'll only ever be who you actually are, and you're a dumb bunny. Well, God brought you here today to tell you you're not a dumb bunny, okay? Who are you actually? You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And if you believe that you're the old creation, you'll act like it. But if you believe the word of God when it says the old is gone, the new has come, I'm a new creation, then you know this, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a person who's enslaved to sin. I am, through the power of Christ, a godly husband, a godly mom. I am someone who can live for Christ in my workplace. I'm someone who can live a life of freedom. That's who you are. It starts in the mind. Romans chapter 8, if you want to go deeper on the significance of the thoughts you put in your mind. Well, at the beginning, I told you about uh, a critic who was an internal critic in my life when I was leaving my journalism career. And he said, he said, he gave me a number. He said, John, if you go write for the New York Times tomorrow, every article you write will be read by this many people. But if you go be a pastor, there's no way you'll ever impact that many people. That was about 10 or 11 years ago. Well, I, I say this to show you 
if you follow God's path like Nehemiah did, you never know what he'll do through you. It's all about obedience. It's not about us. It's not about numbers, but it's about God, will I follow you? Well, we were looking at the end of August at our number of views online this year of people who've watched our messages. And guess what? That number happens to be almost exactly the same number that the guy 11 years ago said, if you're a pastor, you'll never be able to reach that many people. And here's the thing. If I was writing for the New York Times, I'd be writing stories about jail conditions and things that matter. But I get to actually just outright say, Jesus is Lord and King and he'll change your life. And I don't have to worry about an editor firing me. You know, and what, what have I done? I've simply followed God and I'm not perfect. I've had plenty of times where I've bumped into the wall and I've crashed and God's put me back together. But my point is this, stay on his course. Let me show you a picture of a brother in our church, Greg Moore. When Greg became a believer, he wasn't raised in a Christian home and he was working as an executive in the automotive industry. And as God started to change Greg's life, he started going to seminary and studying the word of God and eventually he chose to leave a really lucrative career to become a pastor. Well, when he did, his dad and his brother, they could not understand it. And they kept making fun of him for it. In fact, for years and years, they'd say things like, you're crazy to leave such a good job. If you're a pastor, you're always gonna be poor. Those Christians are making you weird. <laughs> Greg says, when I'd try to share Christ with him, he'd get angry and he'd tell me, I don't need your Jesus. And this went on for years and years and years. Till at the very end of his dad's life, his dad had cancer. And through that, he became humbled and God softened his heart. And about six months prior to him passing away, Greg and his wife Paula were able to share Christ with his dad. His dad became a believer. And then for the last six months of his life on earth, he went around telling people, do you realize there's another world? Do you realize there's a real God? I mean, it totally transformed him, but that was after years of criticism. And I want you to just imagine in your life, imagine what God can do as you just stay the course of being faithful to what he wants to do in you and through you. Loving people, but not living for their approval, living for the approval of one, reciting the truth when lies or discouragement would distract you or stop you. I mean, I want you to imagine the people who God could change, even the critics he could transform, but he's not gonna transform them by you stopping the work and arguing with them. He's gonna transform them as you stay faithful and as he transforms their hearts. I want you to imagine your house. I mean, think about your kids or your grandkids. Imagine a home where everyone growing up in that home, the only words they ever hear, even when they're being disciplined or corrected, our words of affirmation, our words that are full of love and truth, like Ephesians 4.15 says. I mean, just imagine a home like that. Imagine if you had a small group of people around you who anytime you got discouraged, you knew they'd speak the truth to you and they'd pick you back up. This is what God has for us. This is the journey we're already on. And today God's encouraging us through the book of Nehemiah, keep reciting the truth. Keep asking God for strength and keep going about his work. I wanna pray that for you right now. Father, across this room and for those watching online, Lord, you are doing a great project in us. You're changing our thoughts. You're changing our emotions. You're changing our habits, our behaviors, our relationships. You've given us a great purpose. 
You've given us a great significance and every single follower of Jesus has a great calling. And so Lord, I pray today against the words of the enemy that we've allowed into our ears and into our minds. Lord, we commit as we go out of here that we want to be filling our minds with your truth. So Lord, if there's certain screens we need to disengage from or relationships we need to disengage from so that we can be filling our mind with your truth about who we are and why we're here and what you've called us to do, just show us, God, how to recite the truth. Lord, for some here, it's, it's actually writing out some Bible verses on note cards and putting it up on a mirror. And every day when they look in that mirror saying, this is who I am according to my Father in heaven. Lord, as we recite your truth, we ask you for strength. Just like Jesus, as he walked in this world and he encountered obstacles and bullies and outright evil, every time that happened, he would get away to the Father and he would find his identity in you. So we find our identity in you. God, give us strength to do your work. Lord, all of our power comes from you, the God of heaven. And so we just want to worship you now, that our worship is a weapon against the lies of the enemy, against the doubt and the lack of faith. And so we worship you now. Make us men and women who are free and who live lives of purpose and power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.